brief disclaimer, some adult themes on this week's episode. Nothing violent, but we talk about some things that might not be appropriate for kids. Check out the post on mythpodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, we're back in the world of the Monkey King, and wedding bells are ringing for Xuanzang, the lead monk on the quest, as the group prepares for his big day. It is difficult to celebrate with someone, though, who's only getting married so he doesn't literally get torn apart by a city full of women. The creature is that spiky alligator that's visiting your Midwestern town and, oh, is also on the loose and attacking people good luck. This is Myths and Legends, episode 336, The Golden Cicada Bachelor. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're back in the journey to the West, where the Buddhist monk, Xuanzang, has been tasked by the heavens with retrieving the holy scriptures from the thunderclap temple in the west. Because he's not particularly great at traveling or defending himself at all, he has four companions, heavenly beings that have been transformed into monsters and who are on redemption arcs of their own. The first is Sun Wukong, the Monkey King, an 800-year-old monkey who can shapeshift, turn each of his hairs into a full-sized monkey clone, has a magical staff that can change size and weight, and who's basically invincible. There's Pigsy, a lecherous, gluttonous, lazy humanoid pigman who fights with a rake. There's Sandy, a dour indigo sand monster who's mostly in the shape of a man. And there's also their horse, who's a dragon, but he's constantly in the shape of a horse. We'll jump in with Monkey, Sun Wukong, running a very urgent errand for his boss and Pigsy. Hi, Monkey said as his cloud landed on the male undoing mountain. The Taoist monk on the lawn meditating opened one eye, looked Monkey up and down with it, and then closed the eye. Okay, I know you heard me and looked at me, Sun Wukong, the Monkey King said. There was still nothing. I'm here to get the water. You know what I mean, Monkey said. The monk groaned. You want to talk to the true immortal compliant. Only he can give you the water, the Tao said. Monkey said, look, his master drank the other water. It was the Tang monk in Pigsy. The Taoist monk's eyes shot open. Wait, the Tang monk and a pig man? Monkey sighed, yes. His master, Xuanzang, and Pigsy, they were pregnant. The Taoist broke out laughing. Oh, I'm glad you think this is funny, Sun Wukong crossed his arms. I do, because cause it's funny. Why would they drink from the child and mother river? The monk was still laughing. Okay, it's not like it was labeled. They wanted a cool drink. I don't need to drink or eat all that much. And Sandy is literally sand, so we passed. Fifteen minutes later, they were complaining of a stomach ache. A few hours, and they were showing. Things were progressing quickly when I left them at an old woman's shack, so please, the water that reverses the effects of the river. The Taoist reiterated that, to get the water, Monkey had to talk to the boss. And to talk to the boss, he had to have a gift. Monkey turned out his pockets. Uh, he was a monk. 
he had renounced the world, so not a lot of liquidity right now. Well, then I hope you enjoy raising armpit babies. The Taoist closed his eyes and made a show of going back to meditating. What? Monkey asked. Yeah, with, with men, they come out of the armpits. The Taoist flexed his knowledge of biology. Okay, that's... I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. Sun Wukong shook his head. Oh, is that where we're drawing the realism line? The talking super monkey with Sandman and pig friends whose hair can turn into monkey clones? We're drawing the line at where exactly the baby comes out for a pregnant man. The monk closed his eyes. Yeah, that's what he thought. There was only one way to reverse the effects of the river, and so Monkey kept at it. He basically just annoyed the monk, until the monk went to go talk to his master. Sun Wukong, the true immortal compliance, stormed out of the monastery. Monkey said, yes. See, he was traveling with the Tang monk. The true immortal compliant glowered. Yeah, he knew. He pulled out a letter. He said he had been in correspondence with his brother, the Bull Demon King. The last thing BDK wrote before he stopped writing for some reason was that Sun Wukong beat up his son, Red Boy. Monkey arched his eyebrows. Wow, some callbacks, yeah. Red Boy was in service of the Bodhisattva Guanyin now, and the Bull Demon King was just... Well, you know what? He would leave that as a fun surprise for the lead monk. I will take vengeance for my nephew. He was a king and you turned him into a slave. The monk clenched his fists. Monkey didn't mention that he also turned the man's brother back into an actual buffalo the last episode. Monkey plucked his staff from behind his ear. Ten rounds later, with a hit, Monkey flew back, skidding on the sand of the riverbank. He had won, but the monk used all of his power to push Monkey away so he could get back to the monastery. He was sealed inside with magic. Monkey could have been at this for days, or would have been. Did you get it? He said, looking over to the... Sandcastle? Really? The indigo sandcastle sprouted eyes. Sandy said that he wanted to blend in, and Brother Wukong gave him a bucket to get the water, so he was just trying to stick to the theme here. You got it, though? Monkey asked. Sandy said, yeah. He snuck in during the fight and got the water. They could reverse the effects of the child and mother river. The swelling began to go down after Xuanzang and Pigsy drained half the bucket, each. They no longer had to worry about giving birth from their armpits. Glad to see they're still safe. Though I guess you are just a household of human women, Monkey said to the women who said that that sounded a little bit sexist. Monkey said it absolutely was in the original, but here he just meant that it was nice they were humans and not actual demons. There had been a lot of that lately and, well, always. We could have killed them if we wanted to, the old woman and her family members said in kind of a bizarre flex. Monkey said, yeah, no, they were very scary. What was the point of this? If you stopped at any other house in the area, you would have been in trouble, the woman said. They need seed bearers and would have used you for that, killing you for resisting. Xuanzang said seeds. They weren't farmers. They didn't have seeds. The rest of the room kind of looked at each other awkwardly. Pigsy said, uh, you know, where were the houses of these women who would do this to him? So he could avoid it, of course. The elderly woman said, regardless... They would cut him up after and use his flesh for fragrant bags. Well, 
I will be safe. I smell horrible, Pigsy declared. And they all agreed. From the noise up ahead, we must be nearing the woman's state, Xuanzang said, as Wulong the dragon horse slowed. The others looked to him, the, uh, what? Xuanzang said, yeah, the woman's state, a state ruled and populated completely by women. The monks said, okay, that's not too super different, but yeah. I'm just saying, keep your desires in check. You've been at this, what, for a couple of months? couple of years? How long have we been on the road, exactly? Xuanzang looked to the ground. It's really unclear, Monkey stated. Sometimes it just says seasons pass. I think we've had at least two winters together, so take that as you will. The true numbers were really anyone's guess. Regardless, keep your desires in check, Xuanzang said. Master, please, I'm a monkey and Sandy is actual sand. Pigsy will be a problem, though. Pigsy nodded in agreement. Yeah, that tracked. Uh, what can he say? He loved the ladies, and food, and being lazy, and money, and anger, and not washing his hands, and not washing in general. Xuanzang said that the journey to the West was difficult, but being Pigsy's teacher as he tried to better himself is the most rewarding job of all, Pigsy smiled. Xuanzang said, yeah, sure. They all rode up to the city, the mountains on either side. Xuanzang said, like it or not, they had to stop here. They had to get their travel rescript certified. All right, easy stop. They would ride to the ruler's palace. Everyone keep a low profile and seeds. They heard the moment they crossed the threshold of the city. <laughs> Xuanzang laughed. That, that seed merchant was an enthusiastic one. Human seeds, another yelled out. Xuanzang said, oh, well, thriving market. Not sure what human seeds meant, but... Master, I think we all know what human seeds means, Monkey said. And it did become obvious when the entirety of the city began to close in around them. The streets before them were blocked. The gate behind them was flooded with women. Monkey heard a rip behind them and feared the worst. And then saw the worst when he turned around and found that Pigsy had torn open his shirt and was now trying to match the fevered pitch of the women of the city, screaming out, Pig for sale. That action had the opposite effect of what Pigsy was hoping for, though one translation tells us that it did actually save the lives of the travelers, or more specifically, Xuanzang. It's not that the city of women didn't find the monkey man, the pig man, and the sand man attractive, though they absolutely did not. It's that they were more interested in utility, and seeing Xuanzang as the only one of the human species, only he had what they needed. Monkey and Sandy made their biggest, scariest faces to keep the women back from Xuanzang. Pigsy, well, he made his sexiest. They all had the same repellent effects. When they made it to the male reception post house, as it was called, Monkey did all the talking because literally everyone was trying to force a meet cute with Xuanzang. And since he was a blushing mess when it came to any attraction-adjacent interaction, they would be there literally for the rest of their lives and not only because the women of the city would actually crush Xuanzang. Monkey returned to the waiting room. Yeah, so apparently the clerk can't approve a rescript for someone from so far away as the Tang Empire. That kind of sounds like a scam to keep us here, Xuanzang said. 
learning, but also still not liking to assume the worst about people. This seemed pretty obvious, though. Oh, yeah, it's 100% a scam to keep us here, but we need that rescript to continue our travels. Monkey threw up his hands. Why do we need it? Sandy asked. We've never needed it before, except for that one other time. Can we just leave? Plot reasons? Because we need to stay and interact with this ridiculous caricature of a city? Monkey guessed. Because it's against the law to not get a rescript, Xuanzang sat back. It's the right thing to do. There you go. See, it's the right thing to do, Monkey shook his head. Some women brought out a vegetarian meal for the monks while they waited. If she doesn't come back with the certified rescript, the queen, well, she's going to want to marry you. Monkey picked at his food. Xuanzang sat back, but, oh, do it, Pigsy said, coming up from his bowl. You going to eat your entire meal, he asked Sandy. Sandy slid the bowl over. And by it, Pigsy started, but Monkey cut him off. That's not helpful. Pigsy was a monk now. At least try. What if they forced me into marriage? Xuanzang's eyes widened. He, he would have no recourse. He would have to do it. And why, why was Sun Wukong chuckling? Sun Wukong said sorry, yeah, it was just a little funny. A little on-the-nose cultural commentary. What with the man being trapped by a woman into marriage. You, Xuanzang, have something all those young women who have been forced into marriage over the course of the centuries haven't had. A monkey monk, willing to crack some skulls. Xuanzang frowned. Okay, from your reaction, I see that you might not be so excited about the skull cracking. I'll find a way that involves minimal loss of life and bodily harm. Xuanzang continued staring. Fine, no loss of life or bodily harm. Monkey snatched his bowl back from Pigsy. Just then, a procession arrived. There were more this time, and they did not have the rescript with them. Monkey pointed to his ear, to his staff that was tucked behind it. Say the word. There was a more formal introduction, where they announced that this was the woman's state of Western Liang. They didn't have a man within their borders, and so Father Brother Monk's arrival was an auspicious one. They had come to offer a marriage proposal from the queen herself. <laughs> Xuanzang laughed. Oh, wow, that's, there are four of us, so who's to say who she's even talking to, right? They, we were talking to you, the woman said. The other three are a monkey, a pig, and is that sand? Sandy winked. They grimaced. The brother monk from the Tang Empire was the only one with human sp- I'm, I'm sorry, ladies, he's, he's taken by the Buddha. Pigsy thought about it. That came out weird. Ah, for real, though, Pigsy stepped forward. He, my master, has done the whole monk thing. He's attained the way after a long process of cultivation. He would never fall in love with the dowry of a nation's wealth or a beauty that could take down an empire. Monkey was getting a little wary. Pigsy never really went off book. He never really was on book, either. Still, he was right. Monkey was proud. So I offer up my body as sacrifice. Pigsy tore his shirt. Again, he had actually made a small pilot cut in anticipation of this. Monkey groaned. There it is. The servant said, uh, thanks, but no thanks. The queen was only hoping to marry the human man. The Tang monk, Xuanzang, stepped forward. Well, for as much as he would love to get married and settle down, 
They had a sacred mission. If he didn't get the scriptures from the Thunderclap Temple in the West, the Tang Emperor would die. Monkey blinked. Wow, were those the stakes of this? They had always been pretty vague. Those are the stakes here, Monkey, Xuanzang said. Our queen knows your duty, and she said, Get someone else to do it. The servant clasped her hands together. The Xuanzang said he couldn't let someone else do it. This was his sacred mission, for which you have trained three monks and a dragon horse to go in your stead. Monkey stepped forward, taking the hands of his master. This, this was it. The greatest lesson of all was independence. They, Monkey, Pigsy, and Sandy could go on, retrieve the scriptures from the west, and then pick up Xuanzang on the way back. The servants clapped their hands, perfect, it was settled. The queen would certify the travel rescripts for the three animal, but sand thing, creatures, I don't know. And Father Brother Monk would stay in wedded bliss. They seemed to float off. They left to tell their queen the fantastic news. Monkey, what are you doing? Xuanzang gripped Sun Wukong's collar. Oh, is, is cracking skulls still not on the table? Sun Wukong asked. No? Then this was the best option. They had to meet this plan with one of their own. Did Xuanzang get any look at the city out there? These people would literally tear through Monkey, Pigsy, and Sandy to get to Xuanzang, and then tear him apart fighting over who gets him. The group was probably in their greatest danger yet. Monkey sighed. These weren't demons or fiends. He could see that now. These were humans. And as much as he joked, he understood why they couldn't just fight their way out. That was true wickedness and a line they wouldn't cross. So, they were finding another way. That the other way was a ride on a resplendent carriage, and a massive wedding-slash-goodbye feast was a nice perk. It would actually be pretty easy. It would actually be pretty easy. Jump through all the hoops of a marriage, do the feast, and right before the monk was set to perform the, quote, conjugal rites with his new wife, say that he wanted to see his friends off. Then, on the outskirts of the city, the Shah monk, Sandy, would shield him while he leapt atop the dragon horse. Monkey's hair clones would hold back the queen and her guards for about 48 hours until they were far enough away. The plan was called, quote, fleeing the net by a false marriage. Monkey crossed his arms with a smug, self-satisfied air. The others told him maybe branding wasn't his thing. Uh, stick to fighting. We'll see how fleeing the net by a false marriage pans out, but that will be right after this. Royal brother, won't you come and ride the phoenix? A sultry, melodic voice called out across the courtyard. Xuanzang averted his eyes. Monkey did did that mean what he thought it meant? Monkey said, what? No, how did that? Her carriage was in the shape of a phoenix. Go, go ahead. Remember the plot of fleeing a net by a false marriage. That, that's still a bad name, Sandy muttered. Pigsy didn't react to the name because he was, once again, tearing his shirt. It was getting more and more impressive that he could still find parts to tear. Xuanzang shook. Monkey was a, a little amused, actually. I mean, the guy had been kidnapped by demons at least a dozen times by now, and it didn't faze him. 
but holding hands with a queen in her carriage nearly made him faint. The wedding feast went off without a hitch. The time came for the travel rescript to be certified for the three monks who were to leave, and Xuanzang handed it to the queen. She looked at it. This just had his name, not the others. Xuanzang explained that only he left from the Tang Empire. The others he had picked up on the way. They were monsters fallen from heaven and were on redemption arcs and all that. The queen took out a brush and wrote their names on it as well. And Xuanzang's heart beat faster until he saw that she hadn't altered it. Until he saw that she hadn't altered his part. His name remained. He took it back. Oh, wow. Yeah, I am like so excited for all that conjugal stuff you mentioned, but would you mind if I saw my friends off? Xuanzang asked his very soon-to-be wife, this quest was a big part of my life, and if I know they're on the road safely, I won't be thinking about it. I can fully be focused on just conjugation. He winked. The queen had to stifle a laugh. Sure, yeah. Oh, you don't need to go with us, Xuanzang said as he noticed the queen preparing her carriage and her retinue. She said that this was important to him, her future husband, so it was important to her. They would be husband and wife soon. Xuanzang swallowed hard as the queen took his hand and they all rode for the gate at the edge of the city. All right, well, I, I guess this is goodbye, Xuanzang said. Monkey was not loving how this ended up. Hundreds of women had followed the procession. They weren't surrounded, but they would be soon. Monkey decided to call it and gave the signal. Sandy fanned out and scooped up Xuanzang, putting him atop the horse. A thousand hairs flew from Monkey's back and sides, flying into the crowd outside the city. The rest of Monkey's hairs arranged themselves in a tasteful comb-over. The queen screamed as a Monkey clone gripped her arms, just as Monkey restrained each woman of the city. One of them in particular, though, caught Monkey's eye. All the rest were stopped outright by his Monkey clones, but this one managed a second and a third. The fourth one barely had control. The woman grabbed onto Xuanzang's ankle. Pigsy knew that this, this was his time. He tore the shreds that remained of his shirt, screamed out something akin to his body being ready, and threw himself into the crowd of women. He was going to make the greatest sacrifice of all. Will you get him? Monkey turned to Sandy, but could see that Sandy was having problems of his own. In his distraction with Pigsy, Monkey didn't see the strange woman break free from his monkey clones. All six of them. She was now able to fight Sandy? All right, something was up here. He had resisted attacking her outright, because he believed she was human. But unless the power of love gave you actual superpowers, there was something else going on here. Monkey plucked his staff from behind his ear. It grew to its normal size in an instant, and he brought it down hard on nothing. She, the woman, had reacted about as quickly as Sun Wukong, and, at the last instant, turned into a whirlwind. Sandy was sent careening in countless directions, and Xuanzang was carried off by the tornado. Pigsy was on the ground, the monkey clones allowing a wide circle around him to give him his space. He was making kissy noises and stuff. Then he paused. Wait, was she a demon? It's always a demon, Monkey cried out. The people of the crowd were bowing to them. The queen said she didn't know. Monkey shook his head. He told Pigsy to put a shirt on. 
Sandy had just about finished reassembling himself from being blasted all over the road, they were going to do a superhero thing and chase the monster into the clouds. And they did. The three of them secured their bags to the horse and took off into the sky after the cyclone that had kidnapped their master. They spotted, in the distance, a cave. A cave with a big green stone slab that read, Toxic Foe Mountain. Monkey rubbed his face. He grabbed Pigsy's rake before the monk in training could break down the door. Monkey said that they needed to be patient. Get it? Because I, I turn into a bee to do some reconnaissance. Monkey buzzed the two, having, yes, transformed into a bee. I, we can't hear you. You're, you're very small, Sandy said. Monkey flew away. Ah, I should have said buzz off. Pigsy shook his head. Monkey squeezed into the lair. And the first thing he noticed, well, were the fingers. The story describes the main fiend's fingers as being attractive and dainty and spring onion-like. I think a spring onion is called a green onion here in the U.S., and yeah, getting a strong salad fingers vibe from the main fiend here. But it's supposed to read as attractive, I guess? She was flanked on either side by young women in silk. And there, in the middle, Xuanzang wept. Xuanzang, who handles being kidnapped by normal demons like a champ, has some awkwardness when it comes to women. The lead fiend told him to relax. He should think of this as his new mountain temple. He could chant the sutras here, keep up his observances, and, oh, here. She brought out the food. She said that she had been watching him back in the state of women. He didn't eat much at the feast. She had dumplings of human flesh, oh, and a vegetarian option, if he wasn't down with cannibalism. Monkey had seen enough. In an instant, he took form in the hall. The lead fiend simply looked at him. And then her eyes began to glow. She smiled, and sunlight burst from her mouth. Monkey wasn't sure what happened next, but he was outside, surrounded by rubble. Pigsy was standing over him, and the pigman recoiled when he saw Monkey's face. Monkey felt something dribbling down his head. It was blood. He had bled his own blood. We'll see how Monkey responds to bleeding from the head, but that will, once again, be right after this. Monkey paced the camp. How? How was this possible? Ever since he stole and ate the immortal peaches from the Jade Emperor, he was, effectively, immortal. He could chop off his head. He had survived being smelted for weeks on end in heaven. He had lived for 800 years chained up under a mountain. He had been attacked by thunderbolts, fire, clubs, spears, and axes without spilling a drop of blood. Who was this? And what had she used on him? They didn't attack that night. Or Monkey didn't. Monkey was certain they would only try to tempt Xuanzang, not eat him. And even if they wanted to, he didn't want to risk... Death? Was that, was that even possible for Monkey? Pigsy tended to Sun Wukong, while Sandy went to get Yulong the dragon horse, and all their bags. Inside, Xuanzang was trying to keep his mind on the mission. Let's you and I play husband and wife, and have some fun. 
The fiend, in the most pleasant form she could conjure, said to Xuanzang. Xuanzang, eyes closed tight, said, uh, husband and wife, yeah, fun. Let's, uh, oh, let's talk about who has pick up and drop off at school. Oh, I'll, I'll get the dry cleaning this afternoon. Are we having your friend Emily and her husband over on Friday? Do I need to go grocery shopping after work for that, or can we just use what we have? This actually did go on for a bit, with her trying to convince him with sultry words, and him saying that, well, if they were husband and wife, were they filing jointly on their taxes then? Did he need to make an appointment with the accountant? She knew that the time to do that was probably before things got busy in the spring, right? And I'm being facetious, but Xuanzang did keep sidestepping her advances, sitting there, eyes closed, arms and legs crossed, until, eventually, she did give up and just hogtied him and went to bed. It was about now that Pigsy, Pigsy knew. Where his big brother failed, he would succeed and bring Master home. Once again, this was his time. Do, do you hear crying? Monkey said to Sandy not ten minutes later. Wait, where's Pigsy? Pigsy came running into the camp. She stabbed his lip. The two monks looked at Pigsy. Uh, okay? Ow, I guess? He did have a swollen lip compared to the bleeding head. That wasn't too bad, though, was it? Pigsy was about to say that just because Monkey had it worse didn't invalidate his feelings, but then they heard a noise from the road. An elderly woman walking alone in the middle of the night. Brother, I, I know. It's a demon. I'll go scare it off. Pigsy took up his rake. Monkey stopped him. Good thought, but look. The three monks studied the woman on the road. She was glowing. Like, literally glowing. Pigsy and Sandy gasped, and all three bowed. You three are getting more perceptive, the Bodhisattva Guangyin said to the three disciples. Some super brief backstory. She's basically their quest giver and heavenly advocate and divine handler. Thank you so much, Monkey said. This one is actually pretty difficult. We're really grateful that you can just come along, teach her a valuable lesson about obedience or whatever, and get her out of our way so we can continue on the journey. Our journey to the West, he winked at the camera. Oh, I can't beat her, Guangyan said. The monks blinked. What did she mean she couldn't beat her? She could beat everyone. She, what? Guangyan explained. That place they're going, the Thunderclap Temple? She had been a student there once. The Buddha himself was teaching, and he saw her growing power. One day, he saw her true nature. She's a scorpion spirit. He tried to push her away, but she stung his hand. She had knowledge and power, and if she could draw blood from the Buddha, there's no surprise her trident could injure Monkey. Pigsy pointed to the owie on his lip. And Pigsy too, I guess. Guangyin said that the simple fact was that she was beyond all their power. It was lucky that she just wanted to, uh, get with Xuanzang and not eat him like pretty much everybody else. To beat her, they needed to go find Star-Lord. Really? Here too, Monkey said, shaking his head. Man, Chris Pratt is in everything. Guangyin said, what? No, the Star-Lord Orionis. He was the only one who could subdue the Scorpion Demon. Sun Wukong scratched his head. So, 
Star-Lord left the Dipper Palace for the Luminescent Palace, the one with the stargazing terrace. The Monkey King eventually found Star-Lord Orionis with his seven-star sword, cloud-patterned and hanging from his belt. The man himself was on a cloud. Monkey had to respect Star-Lord's theme game here, but they could probably mix it up a little bit. He explained to Star-Lord about the Scorpion and the journey to the West. Star-Lord assembled his soldiers and they descended to the Earth. I joked about Pigsy's lip being an owie earlier, but Star-Lord Orionis really did rub on it, blow on it to heal it, so it basically was. The plan was simple. Monkey and Pigsy, with their lollipops and stickers for being such good patients, would provoke the Scorpion Queen out into the open, where Star-Lord Orionis would work his probably actual magic. So they did. They turned her doors into rubble, and she came rushing out, trident in hand, ready to strike. It was then, in the moonlight, that they saw the shadow of the rooster. Is that the true form of Star-Lord Orionis? Pigsy asked. Monkey said, yeah, he guessed. He thought animals only turned into demons, but maybe there were good and bad animals like Redwall? The pair readied their weapons for the fight to begin. The rooster crowed, and that was the fight. Kind of. The scorpion demon took her original form of, quote, a scorpion the size of a lute, which, to be sure, is massive for a scorpion. Less impressive for a demonic monster, but whatever. She was frozen, too. And while the Star-Lord rooster strutted on the hilltop, Pigsy looked around at everyone. Should he... Were they gonna fight this thing? She wasn't gonna stay frozen forever, right? He looked down to the loot-sized scorpion, staring up at him hatefully, put his hoof on her back, and shifted his weight. There was a crunchy splat as everyone winced. It is surprisingly satisfying. Like bubble wrap, Pigsy said, crunching the rest of it under hoof. Pigsy, nice job with the win, Xuanzang congratulated his disciple as his monks unwound his wrists and ankles. Pigsy didn't win, though, Monkey pointed out. But he killed the monster, Xuanzang stated, as Pigsy helped him to his feet. Well, yeah, but you're always saying we should be understanding redemption arcs and all that. Monkey was confused. I'll chime in here, Guanyin said. She was beyond redemption. No worries at all. Completely uncomplicated fight. You're a hero, Pigsy. Pigsy smiled and wiped a tear from his little pig eye. The woman of the toxic faux cave had been kidnapped and forced into service, so Monkey escorted them back to the woman's state. Oh, and there's a little message I'd like for you to deliver for me. To the queen of the woman's state, Monkey, Xuanzang said, and passed him a paper that said, It's not you, it's me. Pigsy, Pigsy, Pigsy. Pigsy started up a chant, and Xuanzang... The monk was so happy to be out of that cave that he sang along. Star-Lord, even Guangyan joined. Monkey and the liberated captives started the long walk back to the woman's state. So, Monkey could deliver them and break up with his boss's fiancé for him. That's where we'll leave the story this week. 
If you were wondering about the relation between roosters and scorpions, so was I. I'm not sure if there's a relevant folk story, but apparently there's a belief that chickens and roosters can safely eat scorpions. As far as I can tell, this is not the case, so do not sprinkle your chicken coop with scorpions as a fun, nutritious treat. But if anyone has any other reason why a scorpion would freeze in the presence of a rooster, let me know. Next week, it's Apollo time, where we follow Apollo, his many crimes, and see that while you can be unlucky in love, it also helps if you aren't a terrible person to begin with. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site and on Apple Podcasts. For less than the price of a baccarina, a nose flute, it's a flute that you play with your nose, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that, I promise, do not include me playing what sounds like a recorder with my nose. I've played my ocarina on this podcast before because of course I have an ocarina, but never a baccarina. Check out mythpodcast.com membership or find us on Apple Podcasts to subscribe there. The creature this week is the Gaius Cutus, a fearsome critter from North America. One time, in the early 1900s in the Midwest and the United States, there was a traveling animal show. The main attraction? The Gaius Cutus. Rumors abounded regarding what the Gaius Cutus was. Was it a white-tailed deer with ears of a rabbit and fangs for some reason? Was it a 10-foot alligator with the height of an armadillo and sharp spikes like swords rising from its back? and one side of legs shorter than the other, so it could walk on hillsides, you know, because alligators have such a hard time not falling over. They're like a thousand pounds and are three inches off the ground, but whatever. Some stories from Vermont had the creature being bred with sheep so they could stand on hills. One rare instance had a man keeping one as a pet. Regardless, the animal show advertised it as dangerous, but amazing. People have been hearing lumberjacks talk about this monster for years, but up until now, everyone thought it was just a story. The people arrived early, bought their tickets, and lined up outside a tent to see a living, legendary creature. But time passed. A showman was brought out to do tricks for the crowd, while people ran in and out of the tent behind him, frantically. Eventually, a cry went up. A scream from inside the tent. A man burst out, covered in blood, yelling for everyone to run for their lives. The guy has cut us and gotten loose. It was Bedlam. But thankfully, everyone escaped with their lives, and no one was hurt. No one at all. Not even the supposed victim inside the tent. When, later on that day, people dared to return to the fairgrounds, they found it empty. The traveling animal show had pulled up the stakes. There never was any guy's cutus. It was all a ruse to get the money from the town and then get them all to remove themselves as quickly as possible. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 